0: Welcome to the Manufacturing Employer Podcast, where we talk workplace culture and all things related to the strategies that drive exceptional environments for employees. You'll hear conversations with those in the manufacturing space tasked with making their workplace better. Employee engagement, benefits, onboarding, hiring, we'll be discussing the working experience from top to bottom. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Manufacturing Employer. I'm your host, John Franco, co-founder of Guerrilla 76. We are the industrial marketing agency. We help manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. On today's show, the Labor Day edition of The Manufacturing Employer, I'm very, very excited and more importantly, honored to have Drew Crow joining us. He's the force behind the American manufacturing renaissance. The bio I'm about to read is it's long, but there's a lot to say about about Drew, and I want to make sure I I, I cover it all. And I'm probably still not going to get it all in. Overcoming personal adversities as a teenage father and two-time felon, Drew's journey unfolded in an extraordinary realization, the boundless potential within manufacturing. In 2022, Drew embarked on the groundbreaking American manufacturing renaissance tour, captivating audiences nationwide and inspiring a new generation of skilled professionals. As the former lead at Rankin Technical College here in St. Louis, Missouri, Drew not only imparted his expertise in advanced manufacturing technology, but also spearheaded the development of a cutting-edge digital curriculum, extending access to invaluable skills on a global scale. Drew's impact transcends traditional boundaries, making him an influential force beyond academia. As the charismatic co-host of the esteemed program Project MFG, he orchestrates captivating competitions that elevate the skilled trades, leaving an undeniable impact on students and schools. Drew's influential voice has resonated within esteemed institutions such as the White House and Pentagon amazing, where he shapes industrial policy and influences pivotal decision-making processes. As a visionary thought leader, his groundbreaking insights have graced the pages of Forbes, solidifying his position as the face of American manufacturing's rebirth. Notably, Drew has been twice, twice, not once, but twice honored as aerospace and aviation man of the year, a true testament to his exceptional contributions and unrivaled expertise. In the critical battle to bridge the workforce and skills gap, Drew emerges as the undisputed leader sought after as a captivating speaker and trusted consultant. With his magnetic presence and profound knowledge, he empowers industry leaders, teaching them to effectively engage, recruit, and retain the next generation of manufacturing professionals. And ladies and gentlemen, he's here with us today.
1: Drew, Welcome to the show. Take a deep breath after reading that whole thing. Dude, we got any show left.
0: It's so impressive. It's <laughs> yeah, like, no, I, I, thank I, you, man. I when we were like prepping for the show, I was like, I'm going to try to edit this bio down and whatever. But I, I started working on it. I was like, I, I can't cut any of this stuff out. It's so impressive.
1: Yeah. yeah, man. It's, it's, it's been a journey, bro. And you know, it's one that, you know, definitely had its lows, but it's been, you know, up for a long time. And thanks to manufacturing and thanks to the community that, you know, has been embracing me and, and getting behind me and my message and everything like that. There's just been a lot more great opportunities and doors opening. And I'm grateful for all of it. Well,
0: I was thinking about your story, and I was also thinking about the story of American manufacturing. And there's there's a major parallel going on there. There is a story of redemption happening here. I would love for you, whatever you're comfortable sharing. I would love to hear that story that kind of kicked off your. Your your drive to to go into manufacturing.
1: There was some stuff that happened, man. Some crazy stuff, and unfortunately, when you know we turn the TV on and we look at you know how a lot of major cities are right now, the stuff is still happening. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the things that I'm doing now. But I was, you know, we turn on TV, and we see teenagers and and kids like doing a lot of major crimes, like stealing cars and and it's exponential like you would you know know that certain areas you don't go to because people do these types of things but it's like every time you turn on the, the news crimes get worse and the people perpetrating them get younger and i was one of those people you know i was you know in st louis and and we bounced around a lot product you know single mother household and and she did the best that she could she worked a bunch of jobs but the ones that she could get were mainly like you know like retail and like lower Wage paying jobs. Right. And I quickly decided, you know, when I was young that I was going to do something to help her. But B, I didn't want to live the life that I saw a lot of people in my area living, like in a food desert, you know, working a bunch of jobs, barely having anything. Barely
0: making it work. I mean, barely, barely, making it work.
1: man, and really giving everything they got. You know what yep. I'm saying? Like, you know, I know, yeah, like, like literally mom, all their
0: time, like working. Come on, nonstop. come on, yeah,
1: one thousand percent. And then, as hard as she worked, she would come home, and there wasn't a lot of time to really sew into the family that she was growing because she was tired. You know what I'm saying? And and you know, most of the women and and people and and families in my direct area were the same way. So. I decided as a young man to do what I could. So when I looked around, unfortunately, the only people that I could get an easy job from was from the streets. Right. And those were the people that I saw, you know, that were not struggling as much and they had things. Right. So I didn't really see it early on as as me doing something wrong. I just saw it as survival. I mean, it's survival, bro. Putting money in my pockets, relax a little bit, keep the lights on, supplementing with what she was trying so hard to do. And I quickly, you know, built a name for myself. We moved around a lot when we were young due to evictions and different things like that. I knew a lot of people in a lot of different neighborhoods. And so my network was pretty big. And when, you know, I decided that I was gonna do nefarious things, I had a lot of people that were down to do it with me. Fortunately, that, you know, gave me some time, some time out. I would say some adult time out. And you know, I ended up in and out of like jail, right? And I didn't really like think about the breadth, these charges adding up and like all these different things because you know it would be something in my mind. I'm gonna do 90 you're days. You're young.
0: I mean, you're I'm young. young. Like, you I don't think, think about of- that.
1: Come on, bro. You think you're 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 breakable and everything is is just gonna work itself out, right? And you know, I eventually, you know, I had a kid at 15, and as he started growing up. I stopped living life like in the moment for myself. Now it started becoming, okay, how do I make his life better than mine is right now? And I'm still a kid, right? And my my dad wasn't really around when I was young. So I didn't have like a good male role model to show me how to do this, right? So I was still, you know, in and out of jail. A lot of people have kids and immediately change them. I wish I could say that that was me, but, you know, I loved him. I knew that I had to do better, but I was still, you know, playing the streets, Right. I was going to to school at the same time. And I'm a smart individual. I think I'm smart. Back home, people said I'm smart, but when I get into school, I wasn't really being engaged. And and it was the opposite. You know, so teachers weren't really telling me that I would be good at anything or not. Like, you know, here's a great career path for you because these are the skills that I see you exhibiting. You know, so I was a kid that had ADHD. I would do my work really fast and then I would do something else, right? And so that just got me in the bad kid class and it gave me the bad kid tag. So nobody really wanted to deal with me and engage me in things. So again, idle time, idle hands, I'm still in the street. So I'm still in this cycle of getting locked up and getting out. And one of the last times where I got locked up, I was, I got locked up in Chicago, actually, because I would just go up and down the highway, do dirt up there, come back down here. You know what I'm saying? And I was in Chicago and I got locked up and I was on the phone with my son watching Monday night football. I had to fight to get the remote, had to yeah, fight yeah. to turn on Monday night football, I had to fight for the phone and he's probably like 3 or 4 at this time and he's watching it back home and we're watching this game together. The recording comes on. It's like you got 5 minutes left. And my son just broke down. He's like, "Dad, this is the first quarter. Like, make her stop. Make her stop." You know, and it's like all of my, that's when it came real to me. Like everything was, I i couldn't control it. Like I couldn't even sit down and watch a game with my son. And if I don't do something different than what I'm doing right now, he's going to be watching a game with me in here. You know what I'm saying? so in my mind, I knew I had to do something different. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I definitely didn't think it was manufacturing. I couldn't make those dots connect at the time. Didn't even know what manufacturing was, but I knew what I didn't want to do. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to keep doing this. And I knew I wanted to be a better father, a better man. I knew that there was something bigger for me in the bigger picture of being an American and all those different things. Right. So when I got out, I just put the word out that I wanted a job no matter what it was. Like I would have took anything. But unfortunately, this is at the height of the recession. Yep. Uh, it's like in 2008 09.
0: and nine. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I'm like 19 and, and got a kid. No skills. Got a record, all that playing around stuff that I did. Now I'm trying to get jobs. There are no jobs, but now I'm trying to get jobs as a felon. And that's when they would make you check the box, right? Yep. Yep. So that automatically took the scarce jobs that were out there. 90% of them are gone now, right? So just keep on being diligent, keep on trying to do what I can do. I'm scraping up money to pay my my parole officer and like, you know, pay restitution so I can make sure that I don't go back and Thank God a woman came to me and she was like, hey, in my job, there are open positions. There's two open positions. I can't guarantee that you'll get them, but, you know, you got to drive. I can get you an interview at least, you know. So went in and there was a saw position and there was a machinist position. I think a saw paid like 14 which was a whole lot at the time. And the machinist position might have paid like 19 at the time. It was crazy. I told the guy, Donnie Ogle, I was like, yo, I want to be a machinist because it paid the most. Never been in a shop before, never seen, I don't know what a machine does. Google wasn't as big as it was. You, you, YouTube wasn't as big as it was. So there wasn't anything out there for me to like look up and like fake be. And he was like, Well, let's take a step back and let's just talk about you. And he got to know me. Right. And he just said, you know, and this is an old white guy from the country, right? Yeah. He has yeah. nothing in common with me. Like, he doesn't look like me. If we were out at a bar, we would not talk yeah, to each other. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm nervous. I really need this job. And, you know, he just really put me in a place and I've never had an interview like this. Up at that time, I never really had an interview, but I definitely even in life right now, this is the one that I reflect on. And we talked about what this job would mean for me and my life and my family and and how much I needed it, right? And what I was willing to do. And he saw through me. He you know, he saw who I was as a person. And maybe he's just a great judge of character or just his years in as an experience of doing this. But he got to know me as much as he could in that 15 minutes that we had been sharing together. And then he handed me the machinist test. And he was like, "Okay, I think you really want this. Here's this machinist test. Take this. I'll be back in five minutes. So front side had like pictures of calipers and micrometers on there that I'd never seen. What are these? And I, I totally failed that side. But the backside had measurements. It had quarter and eighth and five eighths and all those different things, which from the streets, I was a whiz at, you know. So one side I failed, the backside I aced. And he was like, look, you're not a machinist, but I'll put you on the saw. And if you're dedicated like you just told me you were, I guarantee I'll make a machinist out of you and I'll get you to where you want to be. So that's all I needed. He hired me. I started that night on third shift. Man, it's amazing, bro. It started that night on third shift. First time I ever walked into that shop was that day. And I saw these machines at night and I'm the only one in there cutting the material besides Donnie who let me in and show me how my job would go. And I'm just seeing these machines cutting stuff. I'm seeing raw material get cut down into. we were making non-contact bearing isolators that went into a bunch of different applications but mainly into like turbine engines and stuff like that for like jet fighters. And it was that day where I felt like what I do matters now, you know what I'm saying? And like, somebody cares about me. I've got a clear path. He wants to help me get that $19, $20 an hour job. He believes I can do it and he can make me into that. Yeah. You've got a champion. You've got somebody. Yes, exactly. He championed me, bro. And he made me feel for the first, like what I did mattered and what I did counted. Right. And it helped me start removing those labels that I put on myself. You know, I obviously had to check into like my PO would check in to make sure I'm going to work and do all those things. So he had to have that relationship. But when I was on the shop floor, unless I told somebody or unless, you know, it came up in discussion. It was just about my work. Right. And so. I started showing up. I was never anywhere on time. I started showing up 15 minutes early to this job. I started, like, I would clock out in the first shift. The machinists would come, and I would stay, you know, an hour or two late and just take notes on everything that they were doing, you know. And this was the first time where I could get out of something, what I put into it. And, you know, there were definitely bumps along the way. You know what I'm saying? Don't get it wrong. Like, yeah. And I was usually the only black person in the shop, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A person of color, period. There's usually no women or like one woman in the shop. So all of those things that we got to deal with, all the culture things were still there. But I wanted it so bad, bro. Like I I there was nothing that was gonna remove me from this this chance that I just got, this second chance that I got that I felt like was really my first chance, right? And I went back in my mind, I'm like, man, you know, how many people that were lost in just trying to do something and keep their head above the water. If they were given this opportunity, you know, me at 15 or 16, if I knew that this could be a path, it could be something for me to look forward to and be working on instead of the things that I was doing. So that's why, you know, I conceptualize the, the tour that I'm on because in the, the digital software, the micro-credentialing app that I got, because I want people that come from those circumstances not even just the background not even just the skin color like the the economic whatever if you're in a circumstance where you feel like there are no options this is a hell of an option there's a bunch of open jobs big benefits benny comes with it you know what i'm saying so it's like this is sustainable this is something that even if you don't stay it's a foundation builder
0: anybody who knows me knows i'm a massive fan of the wire
1: okay yeah let's get it
0: Yeah, and. Your story reminds me, or, or what you're talking about is there's a great scene. It, it's probably one of the most powerful. Have you seen The Wire? Have you, have you oh, watched man, The Wire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When
1: I was when I was young, we you yeah. You yeah. Like Michael B. Jordan.
0: Michael B. Jordan. He's a good kid. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's playing with toys like any other kid, and the the, the drug dealers in the in the in the like kind of neighborhood they're in kind of give him a whistle, whatever he comes, he runs, moves the stuff. He doesn't, even, I don't even know if he knows what's in the package, whatever he goes and does the thing. And then he comes back and starts playing. And, and it's a perfect illustration of what you're talking about. Like he's a good kid, but this group of people have kind of put their arms around him, have given him a job, have, you know, he's seeing like the nice cars and the nice shoes yes. and the night. And it's like, I, I
1: totally see how it happens. Like I, I to- totally get it. That's my, my thing is like, is this especially these days, everybody is being influenced by something. And that's why I want manufacturing, especially to be more conscious of the fact that we've got great stuff going on and we do have this this workforce issue. And if we're not producing content, if we're not marketing what we're doing and how we nobody knows, nobody knows. And even worse, somebody else is influenced. Those drug dealers. These other industries, those are the drug dealers, right? On a bigger scale. Because
0: what sixteen-year-old kid doesn't want money, right? Like, yeah, like exactly. you're you're getting that point where you're, I don't know, you're starting to look at at dating people. You're you're starting to think about cars. You're starting to think about all these things, and you're like, I want money. And yeah, I I, I again totally see how it all happens.
1: When I was teaching uh, at Rankin, I would as much as I could get into the high schools. Because Rankin has a really good program that's underutilized that's dual enrollment, where you can, in your senior year of high school, go to Rankin full-time, and also that'll give your high school credits. And so when you graduate, you're one year into your associate's degree, right? So when you're done with high school, you have one more year left of college, and you've got an associate's degree. St. Louis public schools and ranking go half on your tuition. So oh, wow. it's really affordable. Yeah, it's a really affordable way to get in the field of your choice in any of these trades and then get in it in it quick. Right. And it's really underutilized because it's not marketed properly and and people don't know about it. But I would get into these schools and, you know, they would be like, well, you know, I push the program first and foremost, because I'm there to help people. And they'd say, well, what do you teach there at ranking? And i you know, advanced precision manufacturing and engineering. And they'd be like, Yo, what is that? And, then, <laughs> you know, and they were like, actually, you know what? I really don't care as long as you're teaching it. And I can buy some Jordans when they come out and have a Hellcat payment. And I was like, bro, add it up and tell me what the Jordans cost a month and what a Hellcat costs a month. And I guarantee you, we can get you a job at the end of this program that's going to pay you way more than that. And that's really all they care about. Especially this day and age, you know, and, and and they're young, they're easily influenced by those types of things. And they just want an avenue to go get it, you know, yep. and we got a great avenue to make it happen.
0: What I'm fascinated by, I, I do Big Brother, but my little is like the best kid in the world. And it it's so funny, like, basically right this past summer, well, no, probably the past year, he just turned 16. But for the past year, starting about 15, all of a sudden, he was like, John, I want to start making some cash. Like, so we, we've we helped him get like some yard jobs, like cutting grass, pulling weeds. But I mean, he was like counting down the days until he turned 16 to where he could start working more often, like officially. Because I, I I believe under the age of 16, you know, you can only work like you know, one day a week man, or something. Yep,
1: yeah. Yep. But that drive,
0: I would hire him in a second for like, if he had an interest in marketing.
1: Yes, man, yes. And my son, the same way. So my son that I'll talk about Yeah. this yeah, yeah. The call, he just turned 18, graduated from Slough High School, going to University of Memphis. He was the same way. I could not get him off of the couch or off of the front of the video games outside of sports practice and definitely couldn't get him to, like, wash dishes or anything. And then he was able to start working when he turned 16. And his first job was Modern Brewery right next to Slough High School. He worked at Modern Brewery. washing dishes and busting tables and stuff. I'm like, Yo, bruh. Where's that energy? Use it around here, but you're exactly right, man. When they get motivated, they want to do some stuff and they've got that young energy.
0: And I think you know, I think a lot of times, and and this is something we talked about kind of prepping for this this episode, but I think a lot of times it's like, okay, well, the only jobs that make sense, and there's not my my father worked in the fast food industry his entire life. He started making frying chicken at a KFC and worked his way up and managed all the KFC is essentially in the no. St. Louis area. So no. I am not knocking fast food working at all. But I think often that is like the only opportunity that young people think there is. And it's like, no, like you can learn a trade here. You can you can start a career that is, I mean, pays well, straight out of the gate. You're learning something, you're contributing to like like I this is another thing that recently an epiphany I've had is like literally everything we use. It's somehow Somebody tied to manufacturing. Yeah. Like,
1: yes, yes. So, everything. So another, another selling point that I would do, you know, our, again, manufacturing as a whole, our branding is is is, is tough to brand number one, but we got to fight our old brand of dark, dirty, dangerous. We're doing better at that, but you really can't really say what it is because it's so much, you know what I'm saying? But what we can say is, what do you like? And I'll show you how to be the person that makes it. So I would go into the automotive department, the construction department, electrical department. I would go into these departments. Is this at and- ra-
0: at Rankin or at
1: Rankin? Yeah. yeah. And I would see what these kids would drove. These kids and and do you love cars? Well, do you want to work on somebody else's car? Or do you want to design an engine? You know what I'm saying? Like that's the difference between the that and then what we're doing over here. I had a kid that that liked roller coasters, and now he's in the machinist union at Six Flags. So cool. Ma- yeah, exactly. And, and this is the way that you can do it. Entrepreneurial kids these days have Etsy. They're selling everything on Instagram. Like they're making apps. They're making digital dollars matter, right? And they don't necessarily even have to start like my son did or your little did. Like kids are making money online as soon as they can on their own time, how they want to do it, right? And it's like, you know, you can take these skills, you can get a 3D printer for 150 bucks. You can get a tabletop, little lathe, or, or mini mill. You know what I'm saying? And you can go to town. I got a kid that loved Ballasong Knives. He graduated high school early. I think he went to Fenton or Festus or something like that and enrolled into my program. And now he's making $15,000 a month online on his Instagram, Revenge of the Blades. Check it out. Selling I'm going to. custom blades. Yeah. And, and like the dude's quality is amazing. And it's like, you can really take these skills wherever you want to go physically. You know what I'm saying? You can move anywhere. Somebody's hiring for a machinist or a programmer or whatever, across seas, engineer, you know. So there is really no bounds to this field. And again, you know, we have the opportunity to make a whole lot of money entry level on up, you know. And, And that's another thing that I'd say, you know, with this great resignation, this is also a time for our industry to connect with these people that are looking for something else to do because they're tired and burnt out of the industries that they're in. And the cool thing about it is with the technology that advanced manufacturing is adapting, Industry 4.0 and like all these cool stuff and buzzwords. Now, you know, we're taking even more of the dark, dirty danger. So now it's like, yo, you could literally. Work from an iPad and just like watch robots if you want to and and program those and, and watch factories from the comfort of your home and just make sure everything's smooth.
0: These knives are beautiful. <laughs>
1: like, oh, hey. This guy's got 6,000 followers. Like, hey, I mean, man, how cool kid, is this? He's a he's 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 dope, man. And and again, you know, those knives are like fifteen hundred eighteen hundred dollars knives. Right. So. He really found That's cool. a way to connect what he loved, you know, with for the skills that he's got. Yeah. Well, I, something
0: you like we were touching on earlier was the gentleman who gave you that that 15 minutes. You know, a lot of the audience that is listening to this are the you know we're we're trying to talk to the people in the in the hiring suite, the the culture builders at, at manufacturing industrial companies, but. I'm in charge of hiring at my marketing agency, or or that's one of my key accountabilities. And and I'm slowly passing that torch off to. We've recently brought in, brought on an HR person, and she's been helping me a ton, and she's taking that over. But it's so easy in the hiring process where, when you're on the high, when you're the person doing the hiring, to rush through it to not really think of how powerful that 15 minutes can be for someone. I mean, you just said it, that guy completely changed your life. So, you know, I hope the people listening, I I hope that, I mean, it's something that it's like, it was good for me to hear because it's kind of like, okay, I need to, I need to make sure I always remember that that little chance you give somebody could completely change the trajectory of their life. Month out it got me to the White House, bro.
1: I suppose Yeah, to, let's talk with, about that. I want to hear as, about the White House. Yeah. So I, you know, had I was at ranking and, and pandemic hit. So I was in the shop and I was teaching virtually. So I set up a bunch of cameras and stuff. And I would have like, you know, two hours of the day where I would give a lesson to my students, maybe do a demonstration on a machine behind me. And then, you know, they would go off and do the lessons on their own time, right? Whatever. So I was still there for eight hours a day. And so I just started shooting content, like, you know, yeah, yeah remember, this is what I, we do, you know, just putting it out there. And, you know, things started really taking off and going viral about manufacturing. And, and that started making, you know, conferences and, and manufacturing associations start tapping on me to come speak and give my expertise, getting how did you get all of these young people excited about manufacturing off of these videos? And you know how are you transforming that into what's and in seats in your program, and like keeping that exciting. So it kind of made me become uh, somewhat of a SME, a subject matter expert in our field because of the experiences that I had, and that gave me the opportunity to have more experiences. So I started traveling to other technical schools and other workforce training places in other cities and replicating what I was doing here in St. Louis, and it was working in the Detroits and in the Chicagos and. In these different places. And I had the opportunity to connect with a gentleman that was formerly at the Department of Defense, but he is now, I think, working with probably like lobbyists in manufacturing now. Uh, But he was high up in the Department of Defense, a gentleman named Jesse Salazar. And he opened up that relationship for me to start consulting with them on industrial based policy on uh, like a, a lower level, I would say, compared to what it ended up becoming, as I was working with them, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine was heating up. And that made our conversations and the work that we were doing together even more vital. So uh, the night that Russia invaded Ukraine that morning, I was tapped to address the Pentagon Joint Chiefs of Staff in the White House on industrial-based policy. And what we would do and the strategic plan to see if we had to enter into that conflict in the way that we would do it. Did you imagine that when you were 15 years old? Bro, from prison bars, prison bars. And still like my, my gold teeth are like a product of my past. I I can't get them fit. You know, they're permanent.
0: But I mean, I think that's a beautiful part of the story.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And it, it works now. as part of the brand now, but it's like, that was amazing that like, I'm in these spaces as who I am and, and my transparency is like my superpower. You know what I'm saying? And, and things that people have been traditionally conditioned to say, like, felon, don't talk about your felon. Like, don't talk about the fact that you did some of these things in the past and you try to hide some of the things that you're ashamed of. But it's like, that's really what's helping. You own me it, man. Connect own it bro that's the hero's journey
0: right like i'm very open about it but i i got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis several years back and it was one of those things like when it first happened i was like i was ashamed of it i was embarrassed by it whatever but i'm like no like this is my opportunity now like this is like the this is like this is a gift when it's really all said and done and like growing from it is really all that matters
1: like yes 1000 percent, and the growth from it is like exponential right like 100%. Every time something else comes, like, oh, my God, like, I I can do this now. Yeah, you know I've already I mean?
0: dealt with this other thing. Like, I can yeah. deal with this.
1: Yes, yes. And there's people that are afflicted by the same things that we've been going through in our life. And they need you. They need that. You know what I'm saying? They need to see you doing what you're doing in spite of. You know what I'm saying? And, and that helps them do the same or at least do it in their version. Yeah. That makes it gives like
0: your your story is going to give some kid hope that that maybe has made a decision that has put him in a bad him or her in, in a bad place, especially it, it seemed to really come to a boiling point, although we should have been talking about it, obviously, much sooner. But 2020, was a lot of things. You had COVID. You had a lot of discussions around race and diversity and how are manufacturing manufacturing companies doing when it comes like how how would you grade the manufacturing in general when it comes to the diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility?
1: I'm gonna give us a strong C. I'll say okay. we're average, right? Have so we, we gotten got better? Whole, we're getting better. We've got a whole lot of work to do, but I'll say that in the past three years, there's a panel for women in manufacturing. At every conference that I go to, some type of diversity is being spoken about on a major platform at every conference. And I hadn't seen that prior to probably since the pandemic. So I'll say that number one. I'll say number two, I think there are more targeted efforts definitely from the government and from big organizations like SME, like Century Foundation, like AMT, uh, but these huge manufacturing associations. Are now, it seems, allocating their not just financial resources, but a lot of resources to getting more black and brown and women into our field because they recognize, you know, whether that's something that is, you know, passionate to you or you're doing it for the right reasons, no matter what it is. It's diversity of it. thought. Like it's number one. Yeah. We got to be able to compete. We're, we're yeah, competing. like the global heavyweight division of the world. And if we're only thinking one way and we only have one type of, you know, thought process, then we're not going to be able to compete against these other emerging nations, right? And another thing is where we can do a lot of work, and you said this earlier, kind of brush on this, that HR department in a lot of advanced manufacturing firms, especially the small to the medium-sized manufacturers, has been given to people via nepotism, right? And they typically didn't do typical HR things, their main focus was insurance, right? And, and so when I go to these mom and pop shops, which make up probably 80 to 90% of advanced manufacturing in the United States, most of the time it was you know named after the grandfather. He was the person that started it. He handed it down to his son. His son ran the shop and was in the shop. The daughters were typically administration. So they were front desk and they were handed HR. And because people were hopping into the boat in the 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s, because there were shop classes, people knew about advanced manufacturing, there were unions that were a lot stronger. They didn't have to really do any of the recruiting and the retaining or any of that, right? It kind of just fell in their laps. So their main focus was insurance, making sure they're keeping their margins right, right? And they're not paying too much in insurance compared to what they're doing there, right? So there was no like, culture things going on in the shops. Hey, you can't say this. You can't do this. Women had to deal with whatever it was. Black or brown, yeah. you had to deal with whatever was going on. And HR wasn't adept to like go through those trainings or give those trainings and stuff to people. So we're working backwards a little bit or we're trying to catch up actually is a better way to say it. And I think that that's one of the main problems. But the thing that that is an opportunity there is, again, we've got a lot of professionals that are leaving from other fields in droves. So IT jobs are getting closed a lot. And that's one of the most diverse sectors that we have. So if we look at some of those IT professionals that worked in HR and recruiting, this would be a great time to maybe give your nepotism position something else that they're better for, or hire somebody to be a people HR person and keep this, you know, this insurance expert in office. But I think that's the main area of opportunity for us to be able to do better is in hiring. And I think it starts in the HR department and in some of those C suite positions.
0: I agree. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that progress has been made. I, you know, obviously, uh, I don't love that it's still a C, but, you know, at least <laughs> it's not a D anymore. And hopefully, right, you know, right. I think a lot of it is just. We need some of these old school mentalities to just go away. I mean, obviously, we these people are retiring. Thank God. And and look, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you know what? They're not being open minded. And I, I just all, our generation has no we we don't tolerate that. We're done with it.
1: And we're coming up. And I think that's the best part about it. You know, and, and I'm not going to say the organization that I worked with, but I worked with a huge organization that represents a whole lot of these manufacturers and a lot of them are in the South, right? Right. And they still use words like colored, you know, I mean, that's one of the ones I could say here, but that is normal to them. Right. And they don't understand because of the generation that they're from. That was a term that they could use. And that was the good term. That's not the one that they use in the car. 60 years ago, we still had different water fountains. Like, I mean, exactly. It's it's mind blowing. (laughs) So so we got to remember a lot of the people that are in ownership positions and have these positions of power came from that generation. And nothing like they weren't ever like made to change, right? If somebody works in a non-manufacturing place, typically with civil rights and like in the 80s, like they they moved with the culture, with with the times, right? Because you know, you would get fired or whatever it was. But we've been so insulated from all of that for so long that manufacturing never really had to keep up. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't keep up with the times. And a lot of them, that was the badge that they wore on their passion. Like, we don't have to keep up with the times because we are essential. We are most modern first world countries manufacturing and exports at least 40 percent of their GDP. That's how you become a world power. Right. And, you know, we were always there. We were always that or higher. And when we started exporting a lot of these things, then it started slipping. Then these shops started losing jobs and all of those different things then they started looking at oh man we might have to change some things around here their back was against the wall and that's why we are where we are and that's why there's this pedal to the metal push to you know start adapting some of these policies another thing again is you know like you said our generation is not going for that so you know a lot of a lot of people whether you're black white asian brown whatever it is you probably went to school with played sports teams with somebody that wasn't like you. And that was your homie. Like you understood, you guys had shared experiences together, high school, middle school, college, even there's more of a chance that there's probably, you know, you dated somebody outside of your race or whatever it is. And you understand people and you want to be around different people. You covet these different cultural experiences and stuff like that. So, you know, People are saying, yeah, you know, even though I'm a white dude, it's a little too white duty around here. I want to work with some people. I'll decline this job. I'll take another job in another industry or whatever it be. It may be. Right. On top of that, 55 percent for the first time, the first time we're over half um, millennials, screenagers is what I call Generation Z and under self-identify as woman or person of color. So for the first time we kind of have minority majorities coming into play and so just by sheer numbers the workforce that we have to choose from identify more as minorities than anything else so if we're not building a culture where everybody is accepted and everybody has an opportunity to you know put into the pot then there's a whole bunch of different industries that are it's you know not benefiting us to continue to keep Doing the same practices that we've
0: been. It's interesting, like what you're saying of of, like thinking back to your friends when you're younger and and you're right. And and what I obviously I have never met this person. I wish I would, but as a little white kid in a pretty much predominantly white school, are a bunch of us like growing up, we were Michael Jordan fanatics. Right. And, and what was so cool about MJ, we all talk about his basketball impact. And I, I have a buddy that talks about this all the time. He he brought it up. He or he's the one who kind of made me think about it. But like Michael Jordan was an African American that was a hero to white kids. And you know, we'd go shoot hoops and we would pretend we were Michael. And and like the impact he had, yeah, tongue hanging <laughs> out. Yeah. The impact though he had on. I I I mean, and I know he said the whole thing about Republicans by sneakers too, and there's like all that, but like or whatever, he changed race relations in a lot in in a lot of ways. Yes,
1: yes, and so that's another thing. So another thing that I strongly believe in is that you know sports, work, and war, unfortunately, are bring us together that bring us together, bro. And you know, Cardinals, the Cardinals, dude, you can go get. The hoodest black dude and the most hit white dude and, a and they'll Hispanic start talking guy. baseball. And they they will come together. And we're all
0: frustrated this year. Over
1: them birds. <laughs> we all mad. I know exactly. <laughs> so so that's that's the thing. And it's like, yo, we've got the work, we've got the place where we can also start bringing some. We're divided right now. Like, let's bring some of this stuff together. Number one. Number two, like you said, Michael Jordan, but also think like. Hip hop, hip hop is yeah. hella crossover. 50, Wallen had 50 year anniversary.
0: Now. 50 year anniversary.
1: It, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Shout out to to hip hop, whoever started. Grandmaster Flash
0: and all those guys.
1: Come on, man. And and so you know now it's like a lot of us in these younger generations, we respect race, but it's not the it's not what it was for you know for them. You know, it wasn't like better than you because of what I look like or what I, you know, where I come from, whatever it is. It's like, yo, I respect you for your experiences and what you came up like. You respect me for what, you know, whatever. And we got this job to do, you know what I'm saying? Or we both like this. We both like that. Let's make it about that. And that's the thing that we got to get to. And I think that we're, we're, like I said, we're doing a better job of at least making it a topic. And I think that as we're speaking more about it and it's becoming more of a point to manufacturers, I think that's when we're going to see more support for some of these fledgling programs that are starting to open up and these pipelines that that are starting to get built.
0: I totally agree. In marketing, we talk a lot about buyer personas and we talk a lot about targeting, like knowing our target of who our buyer is inside and out you have kind of thoughts around that when it comes to hiring. And I don't, I saw you posting about this. I can't remember, I saw it on LinkedIn and I was like, why have I never thought of that? Like, why Why do we not have personas for the people we're trying to hire? Can you talk a little bit about that, what you're building there?
1: Yeah, so and not even taking an, up another notch, like not just for the people that you're gonna hire, but the people that you've already hired, right? Oh, okay. so, so this is something that actually a marketer Showed me a persona sheet one time. I forget what we're talking about, and it had an outline of a person, and then it said, "You know, what are my fears about this? What are my goals with this? What do I like? What do I want to do?" And I was like, "I'm teaching right now. This is when I first started teaching, and most of my kids came from the sticks, right? And that's just you know how ranking is, and and I was looking for a way to really connect with these kids beyond just this curriculum, right? Because I knew from being in the field and from working in advanced manufacturing, that there's a lot of different types of shops that you can work in. There's a lot of different types of environments that you've been working in. And there's a lot of different industries that you've been working in. And if I can really get to know these kids, not only can I make them the best type of worker for these industry clients and really get them up to where they want, where they you know, need to be, what are their perceived weaknesses, what are their perceived greatnesses, And then I can match them with the skill sets to uplift them. Right. Also, I can match them with industry careers and tailor their curriculum so they'll be better for when they get into those jobs. Right. And then when I got into the position where people started coveting me to help them with their hiring and help them reach out to the community, it just dawned on me that this same sheet would give that level of transparency. Right. So the first thing I do is, you know, after I do an audit of the area and I do an audit of their culture and all that stuff, we get into hiring and I give them a a persona sheet. And this is something that anybody can just Google and download and tailor it to their own self. This isn't something that I sell. Maybe somebody might want to make some. Gorilla, maybe y'all whip some up. Definitely something that you can work through. But if you give this to people that are looking for their jobs, it does that 15 minute thing that Donnie did for me. right? And it gives you that level of clarity of who you're hiring, because a lot of times your resume is going to do two things, it's either not that great. So it's not really speaking to who you are and your skills or you pay a service to get your resume done. And it's amazing. And you might not be that person. Right. And it speaks more to you. Right. And that in between where it really hits the sweet spot, where it really speaks to your skills and who you are as a person. That's a little that's a unicorn. It's pretty rare. But if you have this persona sheet. You can get a look into who this person is. What are your weaknesses? What are your perceived weaknesses? What are your perceived greatnesses? What do you like? What do you want to do with this job? What is your goal for your career and in this field? And then you could take that and say, this person would be great. This is a whole career path for this person. We can start them on the saw. They said that they eventually want to be a programmer, but one of their weaknesses or their fears is setting up a machine or working with hard metals. So we'll have them in that department to supplement some of that. And when we get them up to that, then we'll start getting them into a programming room because we do have a need for a programmer. Tom is about to leave in the next five years. He's about to phase out the age. And this is a way that we can work this person through the system. Also, when fatigue starts to set in, everybody gets worker fatigue, people start to get burnt out. You can go back to that sheet and see what motivates this person. When you first came in here, this is what motivated you. Let's get you there. Remind yourself of why you're here, what's your why? This is how we can get you there. When you go to your 90-day reviews or your yearly and quarterly reviews, whatever you do, pull that sheet out, have them updated, show them the difference. Hey, when you started here, this is what your sheet looked like. Look like, look at what it looks like now. So they can see the career progress that they're making with your company while they're there, right? So there's a lot of different things data-wise that you can pull out of that and really, really get to know your workers, really motivate them. In a way that's just not a blanket uh, pizza party or hoping motivates yeah, yeah. everybody. Yo, this is what these people like. You know, let's get them together. Another thing is that's going to help you re- with your with your recruiting. So that's going to help with your retention. That's going to keep people in the job. The thing that's going to help you with your recruiting is you give your employees that have been there for a long time that same persona sheet, and you look at those. What types of employees already work here, right? So a lot of the employees that work here have these similar responses. And you can build a persona from that. These are our top workers. We wish everybody worked at this place like these five people. What are the similarities that I see on their persona sheet? That's a persona of people that you to go out look for. Yeah. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a self-feeding machine to where you're better targeted and who you're going to target. and You're not just throwing a wide net out there. You're building the culture because you're identifying within your current culture the traits that you like the most. It can even work the other way. Hey, yo, we got five people that are really, really cancerous. These are people that we want to replace. Let's see what their persona sheet says and see what matches. So we see things that we don't want to hire going forward. Right. Yep. And you can use these data and you can use these things in a way that makes your efforts better, saves you a ton of money because it's expensive to swing and miss in the hiring game. right? or to get somebody in, and and they're only there for a week or two because it doesn't match up. So this is going to upgrade your recruiting. It's going to upgrade your retention. It's going to give you a better focus on where you want to go as far as who you're hiring and where you go to find these types of people.
0: Brilliant. I like to fish. I like to hunt. I spend a lot of time in the outdoors. But when it comes to fishing, it's like... If you're going bass fishing, you don't take your trout fishing gear, right? It's right. the same thing. Not, like your if cat, you, not,
1: not your catfish. You your catfish cat gear, yeah. right? If you're going right. catfishing, you don't take your bass fishing.
0: It's like yep. you, you have to know what you're going after, and you have to like fish where the fish are, so to
1: speak. And throw them the bait that they're going to eat. You're, you're 100% right, bro. And and it's like, you know, my dad, my me and my dad have a great relationship now. It's my guy. We go fishing a lot. We were just at Bush Wildlife with my ah, son. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Last week when I was in town. And it's exactly that. It's like, you know, we've got all of these different lakes. Bush Wildlife's got a gang of different lakes. Each lake tells you which type of fish is in there. And you can have your setup set up for what you want to go get. And we've only traditionally been fishing in one lake with one type of bait. And now it's overfished. And it's like, okay, these fish we can still catch them. But it's like these fish have been out here ready to eat. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. Yeah. come on!
0: I love it, man. Anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to speak to?
1: I do have a new micro-credentialing app that is going to be out by the time this drops. And this is going to help you all as companies, as schools, start feeding those fish early. Start getting those deer, getting them to be the people that you want. So this is an opportunity to help kids go through video curriculum and games where they can earn rewards and badges in oh, micro Yeah, in things like hiring, interviewing skills, and intro to machining, advanced manufacturing, your robotics. And they can start getting a taste of these skills through games and video content, all narrated and shot by me. And this is an opportunity if you know you are a person that doesn't understand the fish are in, that are in your area, you can use me as the person that's the medium in between the skills that they need to get, right? So I'd love for everybody to check that out. Where will they be able to find it? So you guys can find that via my site, the-mfg.com. Just see a credentialing tab, micro-credential tab on there, or you can check out edgefactor.com. They also have it on their website as well, and it will get you all set up and get you going. And, you know, get you lined up with your future work.
0: I'm, I'm assuming the dash MFG is also the best way to just get in contact with you if people want to follow up or have questions or anything like that. 100%. So or you LinkedIn, I
1: guess. Me. You're on LinkedIn a lot, too. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So you can pretty much on all
0: of the socials. You're not hard to find. You're not hard to find.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there. I'm going to hit your timeline one way or the other. But you can find me Drew Crow on all of those things, C-R-O-W-E. Most of my tags are Drew Crow underscore MFG on all of the different socials, or you can catch me at v-mfg.com, and that'll link you all places as well. Well, Drew,
0: I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you for being on the show, for literally doing like God's work moving our youth forward. I'm serious, like moving American manufacturing forward for the beautiful story of redemption and the hero's journey you're you're on and and the story you're writing. This was a very 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 big honor for me to get to chat with you. So I I, I appreciate just And it. hey, anytime you're in town you want to go fishing, man. You let me know.
1: Let's get it, bro. I appreciate the opportunity and I say man, I'm grateful to be able to be in the spaces that I can do all of those things that that you just named and and more. And hopefully this is inspiring a bunch of more Little Drew Crows that are coming up and, you know, are going to be taking this mission to the next level and beyond to the point where this work that I'm doing isn't even necessary anymore. And nobody even thinks about these types of things. I'm hoping to work myself out of a job, man. So thank you for the platform. It's people and platforms like this that are allowing me to continue to do this work. So I'm mad grateful, man. And, and go Cardinals. Go Birds.
0: Well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Employer. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Employer podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about our approach to industrial marketing and the role the company culture has in moving manufacturing forward, visit Gorilla76.com.